my pleasure to introduce to you Mandy Kramer. Mandy is our children's pastor. She leads the team for our children's ministry. They meet down in the far corner. Uh, her and Mike come to us from South Africa two years ago, and she's going to be sharing part of her story today as well as she leads us in the words. So a warm welcome to Mandy. Thank you, Rob. Good morning, church. It's a great privilege to be here this morning. I just want to say thank you to Craig and Michaela and the leaders of the church for trusting me with this space this morning. Um, I was going to pray, but then just before first service, my mama sent me a message, and it really touched me, so I wanted to read it to you. It says, thinking of you as you relay your message, I pray that the Holy Spirit shines through your words and that God is glorified, or glory to God for getting us to where we are today. Amen. Love you, little mama. So as Rob said, I um, know, oh let's pray. That'll be a good. <laughs> let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that where two or more are gathered, there you are in the midst of them. We thank you for the price that your son paid, the veil that was completely torn so that we could step into freedom, into your presence, Father God. And this morning, as we step into the word and into your presence, I pray, Father, that hope would arise in hearts this morning. Father, would you anoint my words today? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. As Rob mentioned, I am married to Michael, and we have three, yeah, handsome Michael, and we have three beautiful children, Joshua, Shiloh, and David. We've been here a little over two years and have the most wonderful parents back in South Africa. And I just want to take this time to thank you as a church for loving us and accepting us and yeah, in, into BBC and as a home, it's been a home for us. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you for that. This morning, I want to share a little bit about some of the trials that Mike and I have walked through and how there's been two words for us that have helped us in those trials and uh, tribulations that we've walked through. And that's presence and identity and how we've had to learn to seek the presence of God because it's in his presence that he would transform, shift, shape our identity and remind us just who we are in Christ Jesus. And we so needed that and still do need that and rely on that heavily. In James 1, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. And I'm sure there's a couple of us that can't wait to get to heaven and meet James and go, right. <laughs> How, how do you consider it pure joy, James, when you keep miscarrying your baby? How do you consider it pure joy, James, when you've just been diagnosed with a terminal illness? How do you consider it pure joy when you've just lost a loved one? And for me, that was the question through so many of the trials I was walking through. And then earlier on, about seven or eight years ago, I came across the scripture in Psalm 16, verse 11, and it was like God gave me a key. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And the Holy Spirit breathed on that scripture at that time for me, and I felt like it was the answer to the question I'd been asking. So I won't be finding James anymore in heaven because I know the answer. It's in my Father's presence. In my Father's presence, there is fullness of joy. And for me, there were times where I needed to access the Father's presence very quickly. I would be driving or I'd be standing in the mall when a song would come on and remind me of something in a season that I was going through. 
and I'd feel this fear come over me. And I, I needed to access the presence. I didn't have time to wait till the next morning at six o'clock when my children were still sleeping and I was staring out of the beautiful window, looking at the beautiful view with my beautiful cup of coffee. Doesn't work like that in the spiritual realm and in this world that we're walking through. And so for me, it would be meditating upon the cross. The songs that we've just sung, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. Jesus tore a veil completely, not half, completely, so that you and I can step into the Father's presence wherever we are. About 13 years ago, my husband was stabbed in the neck at home while he was helping a friend of ours that was being mugged. And the damage was so severe that he immediately lost use of his left arm. And later on in, at the hospital that evening, I was, um, it was two weeks before our first child was born, and I was sitting in the waiting room while he was in surgery, and the doctors weren't sure of the outcome. They had asked me to prepare for the worst, hope for the best. And I remember sitting in that waiting room going, God, I don't even know what to pray. Am I gonna be a single mother? And I felt this whisper, run with faith. Run with faith and pray life. And I was so grateful in that moment that I had a sea of people that were from church at the hospital praying for us, praying for Mike, interceding, messages were going out, people were interceding. And I was so grateful that I was in community that had faith when mine was weak. It's so important that we have that faith. And the, the damage was so severe that it had nicked the main artery that carries blood to the brain and to the heart. And so there were lots of risks involved with the surgery. And about a week later, Mike was discharged from hospital. But unfortunately, three hours later, I had to have him back because there was internal bleeding. And I remember driving home that evening and this fear paralyzed me while I was driving. I couldn't, get in, I couldn't get into the driveway quick enough, I couldn't unlock the gate quick enough, I couldn't run upstairs quick enough, and I lay on my bed, I just flopped on my bed, and because of this fear, I was now so angry. I said, God, are you even there? Do you even care? Have you heard any prayers? Who are you? And I began to journal and I began to flick through scriptures and there was a scripture that the Holy Spirit breathed on and it was my, my anchor in that season. And it was Psalm 4 verse 8 and it says, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in peace. And that became a, a scripture that I declared over and over, night after night, day after day. When that fear came to grip me when I was driving, I would declare that scripture. And at the same time, the Lord was speaking to Mike and giving him scriptures through the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so as we were in the scriptures and in his presence, and as he was wooing us and loving us, his perfect love is what cast out all fear. And that for us is the miracle in that storm that we learned to wait on our Father. We learned to run to Him. 
besides the fact that he's alive and well and got full use of his arm, which we praise God for. <laughs> Wanna fast forward four years. I was 30 years old, living the dream, had my handsome husband, my perfect home and my three beautiful children. And it was in the season that we discovered a lump in my breast and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And at 30 years old with no breast cancer in the family, it was a complete shock and this fear set in. Fear for my life, my future, my children, my husband. And I began to ask God, what is your will for my life? Am I dying? Do I plan my funeral? And it was in that time that I was asking God what his will for my life was, that in going through scriptures, that the Holy Spirit breathed on the scripture in 1 Thessalonians. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I thought, wow, that's so much like James. Thank you. Now, consider this pure joy. It doesn't, but it's God's will for me in Christ Jesus. So we began to keep worship music on at home. If I was driving and I couldn't pray, I would at least put music on, that it could shift the atmosphere. Or I would sometimes only be able to be grateful for two things, but I could find two things. And that scripture carried me through so much. When my thinking was skewed and I was scared because of my circumstances, that scripture helped me to remember to be joyful, be grateful and praise, praise him. Another question I had in that season was about eternal life. And I said, Lord, I know your son Jesus died on the cross and that he's raised again. But now that it was me possibly facing death, I was like, I don't know if I believe in eternal life. Do I know where I'm going if I die? And I said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Jesus, I do believe. Help me with any area of unbelief. And the kindness of the Father, he began to give me dreams and scriptures and visions about eternal life. And my Facebook post on the 30th of November, 2012, after two years of treatment, it read this. The last treatment today, thank you, Father, my King, for carrying me, comforting me, and for giving me a deeper revelation of eternity and the many glimpses of heaven. And to my family and friends who have prayed for, supported, and loved me through this, thank you. It is finished. And on that same day, my sister came from out of town with her nephew, her son, my nephew, to celebrate with me. She was my biggest cheerleader. And she came to celebrate with me for the night. And the next day, my sister and my nephew and my daughter were leaving to go to my cousin's dance recital. And they never arrived at their destination. And she wasn't responding to texts or calls. And I was frantic. And I began to, Mike and I began to drive up and down the highway and we began to ask friends to pray. We asked people to phone police stations, phone hospitals. 
and it was about two hours of driving up and down a highway. My dad met us from the other um, direction. And I remember standing in the highway at one point just with like no hope. What our hope is. And it was at that time that we got a call from the police station to confirm that there had been a head-on collision and that all three of them had lost their lives. My husband couldn't, we couldn't believe it. And so we went to the police station to see them. And I remember sitting in the police station and I said, God, what does it look like? And I had scriptures going through my mind about raising the dead. And I said, Lord, what does it look like? Is there a special manner in which this is done? Do you want me to do it? What, how? And in Matthew 10, it says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. And among all the commotion at the police station, we had so many friends there by this stage. I said to the Lord softly in my heart, okay, I'll do it. We'll go and ask them to rise up and walk and come home with us. You see, in Matthew 10, it says the kingdom of heaven is near. And when something's near to us, there's a response that we can give. We can stand and stare at it, or we can reach out and take a hold of it. And so that's how I understood it. Is there a part that you want me to play, God, that I get to step out? And when bad things happen to us, what is our response? Do we run to the Father or away from the Father? Do we blame God? In Ephesians 1, Paul is praying for us and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We read there that that position that Christ is seated in is a position of power and authority. Being seated at the right hand is a position of power and authority. And then later in Ephesians 2, Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So I had all these scriptures going through my heart and my mind, and I was like, we are seated in this place with Christ, this position of power and authority. And in Matthew 11, we read that we are to take this kingdom by force. 
We are not passive bystanders. The spiritual, the spiritual realm is real. And so we, that's what we did. Mike and I decided that's what we were going to do. We were going to go down and ask them to rise up. Were our prayers answered? No. But has it stopped us from believing that that's what Christ Jesus says we can see and do? We believe now more than ever. If anything, it's fueled us. In Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we to keep the faith, we to keep the hope, even when the circumstance doesn't look like that. Driving home that evening just after midnight, now without our little girl, I felt completely defeated. And I remember looking at my husband completely shocked as he began to sing this song. For we will say that you are good and the miracles you've done have brought us joy. And we will say that all the hope we have, we place in you right now. Father, we declare that we love you. We declare our everlasting love for you. And I thought, I don't know if I can say that he's good. I don't know if all the hope I have, I want to place in him right now. I'm defeated. But what his voice did in that moment, and in the week after that, and in the months after that, and I honor you for that. I honor you as a husband for how you shifted the atmosphere, and you still do. His voice began to shift perspective. Praise brings perspective. Singing, even what your heart, what your head might not believe, but singing it over and over is a declaration. Worship for our family became warfare. And there were times where we would put worship music on in our lounge and we maybe didn't have the strength to sing it, but we would just sit there and allow the Father to love us. And at Shiloh's memorial, we had two goals, and one was to honor the life of our beautiful girlie. And the second was to declare the goodness of God to believers and unbelievers alike. And we stood with our hands raised to a good, kind, and loving Father who knows us and who carries us and who is faithful to the very end. I had so many voices after that memorial that were tormenting me. You see, there's self-examination, which is good for us. Scripture speaks about, we, we, you know, we, self-examination and checking our hearts is good. Called to be a righteous people, but condemnation is not. There is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And Satan wants to paralyze us and keep us there so that we cannot advance the kingdom of God. 
And that's what he did. He began to say things to me like, the accident happened because you did this. The accident happened because your grandfather lived a life like this. The accident happened because, and it was so loud. The radio in my head was so loud, I had to turn it down. And the only place that I felt any peace was in my father's presence. But there were times where I needed it very quickly. And it was through scriptures, through worship, through declarations, through even stating declarations that perhaps I didn't have the strength or even believe. But my father says it in the scriptures, so it must be true. So I said them over myself. Because praise helped me lift my eyes to the one who knows it all beginning and end. You see, we, we're on this journey of hope. He's asked us in the Psalms to keep our hope alive. And there's a tension on earth, the tension of the Lord's prayer where he says, we say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the beautiful new heaven and earth that we read about in Revelations 21, 22. And for me in this season, Revelations 21, 22 was my anchor. It was my lullaby. I would read it morning and night. And as the Lord, be, as I just became so sure of eternal life and excited for it. That doesn't mean we stop going after miracles and breakthrough in this lifetime. You see, there's always hope. The hope on the night of the accident for us as we were driving up and down that highway frantically was we hope we find them alive and well, and maybe she's just run out of petrol. And when that reality for us was shattered, our hope then was we hope, Father, that they will be raised from the dead. And when that was no longer our reality, the hope that you and I have that nobody can take away from you and I is eternal life. The hope that we get to run into the arms of our Father. That's our assured hope. I had many, have many beautiful, kind friends, well-meaning, good intentions. And in the season, people began to gave me, give me lots of books. This one's three minutes in heaven. This one's six minutes in heaven. This one's flight to heaven. Uh, I was like, Lord, can I just go? Can you just give me a vision or a dream or uh, my own book? And it was amazing. Again, the kindness, the overwhelming love of the Father who hears our prayers. And he began to give me dreams and visions and scriptures about eternal life again. And then once I came out of this vision and I went to my friend Jess, I said, Jess, it's so real. We've got to tell people about Jesus. It was like I'd been born again all over again. I was so sure and excited. Our beautiful little Joshua was seven when he went to sleep one night and he woke up the next morning and he said, Mommy, Mommy, I dreamt of Psalm 34 last night. So I said, that's great. Let's read it together. And as we began to read it, 
He said, stop, that's it, that's it. And it was Psalm 34 verse eight, and it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that was his healing balm. That was a declaration. Him and I made a poster in his room and we put it up. And whenever his little friends with their sisters would come around and play, and he felt like his little world had been rocked, we would see and we would read and we would declare, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Father's concerned with the whole family. And the atmosphere that you bring into your home your ch impacts the children. It was about two years after the accident and I was diagnosed with breast cancer again. And I didn't know how to phone my parents and tell them that their now only child had cancer again. But this time it wasn't so much that fear came and gripped me. I remember sitting there as the doctor read the report And fear didn't get me. But I left that room and I said, Father, I need to hear your voice. I've become so reliant on your voice being my peace and being my guide. I need to hear what treatment plan you want. They had prescribed some uh, chemo called Red Devil and the name in itself was enough for me to go and do some research. And I sat there doing research with the Bible open and in the Word, and, and the Lord led me to the most incredible doctors. I changed oncologists because of what the Lord had said to me. And my oncologist, the new oncologist, was so thrilled and surprised and elated after three treatments. They had prescribed 12 rounds of chemo, and after three, I was healed. And she ran around with my blood count going, this is higher than the average person on the street. <laughs> and I just, all, all glory to God. And after that, uh, after the, the um, cancer <clears throat> treatment, I went on some post-treatment and I had every side effect on this treatment. Honestly, when we pulled out the flyer, the leaflets inside those tablet boxes, I had just about, if there were 26, I had 25. Like, it was awful. And one of the side effects was suicidal thoughts. And I thought, God, I wasn't even suicidal when I lost half my family. Where is this coming from? And I began to get tablets ready. And I was about to take handfuls of tablets. And it was so dark. It was so dark, the, the place I was in. I felt hopeless. When God began to flash these scenes of hope across my vision. And he began to, it felt like a loud, a shouting whisper. It's like, don't do it. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose. Don't do it. And he began to tell me all of who I am and how he sees me. And it was so vivid for me. That he became my hope in that dark place. It was so clear for me that I dropped the tablets and I phoned my mom and, I, and Mark was downstairs and I ran to him. And it, it was just, 
I needed to breathe. I knew what it was now. And I'm not advocating that anybody goes off medication, please. But with my oncologist and a lot of prayer and guiding by the Father, I went off of that medication because it just, I had every side effect. And it was in that season that the Father began to just remind me of identity. And I would put these ideas, I am chosen, I am set free, I am seated in heavenly places, I am victorious. I would put these I am's, these declarations up in my car, in the bathroom, or wherever, any mirror or wall I could find, I would put these declarations up to remind me of who I am. It's really hard when we're being dictated to by our circumstances to remember just who we are in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, wait on the Lord and renew your strength. And in today's society, we don't like waiting. Ask any mother that's eight and a half months pregnant. We don't want to wait in a doctor's room for an hour, how dare he keep us waiting so long? <laughs> Waiting's just not something that we're from, we, we do very well these days. We're in a rushed world. But Isaiah and David speak so much about us waiting on the Lord. It's because in the waiting, he renews our strength. He reminds us of who we are. He enlightens our heart. He speaks hope, he speaks purpose, he speaks identity. I want to invite you to stand with me in this moment and in this space. And I encourage you to close your eyes and Wait on the Lord. And as you turn your eyes to Jesus in this moment, I pray, Father, that you would fill your people with hope. In 2 Corinthians, it says, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, there's a response in that scripture whenever anyone turns to the Lord. He will do the rest. Turn to the Lord. It's in the turning to him that he gives you perspective. It's in the turning that he reminds you of the price Jesus paid so that you could step into freedom. It's in turning to him, he's saying, come as you are, be real. I can see you, I see it all. And I wanna take it all off of you. I wanna make your burdens light. There's many times where Jesus is meeting, when he's meeting the disciples, and on three occasions he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. 
Peace be with you. Father, we thank you right now that you are the God who binds up broken hearts. You are the God who releases chains of despair. Father, as you spoke strategies to me, I thank you right now that you release kingdom strategies to your people. Kingdom strategies for your businesses, for your marriage, for family ministry. Release kingdom strategies, Jesus, to your people. Receive what the Father wants to say to you now. Receive what the Father wants to say to you. Contemplate his glory. Allow him to transform you into the image of his son, Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that you replace lies with your truth. Speak identity to your children, Father. Let us run with faith. Let us not grow weary. Strengthen us. Strengthen us, your people, and us, your church, Lord God. That we can take your message to a broken world. I thank you, Lord, for breakthroughs specifically in marriages. Your marriages have been calling out to you. Breakthrough, Lord. And to single parents out there, I want to say the Lord sees you. He sees you and he is your strength. Oil of joy, be released. Thank you, Lord, that you release the oil of joy that you put on us the garments of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who transforms. You give us beauty for ashes. That even when we don't understand, we will praise you, God. We will praise you, God and we will see prison doors opened in people's lives. Let us worship our King together.